We're just goofing off here and before we go to bed. You guys are easy to talk to, though. I've been on a couple of other podcasts in the past few months, and it's very nice to come home. I Google myself, which you should probably do. Just not too often. I, I remember the day I realized I was a top Jonathan Downey on Google, and I was so pleased with myself because I'd be, I'd be like a college basketball player. The top Jonathan Downey. You should have edited this. You see me mute myself when I'm not talking. It's because there's a train that goes by here and I try to like minimize it. Oh, that's scary. This is where all the outtakes usually come from. <laughs> I was wondering how you do that. Okay. This is the, the fun bit. <laughs> I'll be careful what I say. <laughs> no, that's the only reason that I, I decided like that I would do a podcast at all. Is I was like, I'm not touching the editing ever. I've never yet done an intro in one take, so it's not going to be anything abnormal. This is Troublesome Terps, a podcast about topics that keep interpreters up at night. I'm your resident rowdy Scott, Jonathan Downey. Here in our virtual studio, we have a mostly full lineup. First up, our Munich maven, Alexander Gansmeyer. Hey, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here again in our virtual studio. I like that. Also with us, of course, is our resident tech head and podcast wizard and tablet interpreter, Alexander Drexel. Good evening, everyone. It's lovely to see you all, at least virtually, and talk to you in the virtual studio. It's very tech forward that you're here, so virtually and digitally. Right? Yes, yeah. in these difficult times. Let's not talk about that, though. <laughs> no, let's not. No. <laughs> is coronavirus the new hashtag Brexit? I, I'm just glad we're not interpreters versus machines. Uh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. I think it's you moving it along, Alex, though. I know. I was just sort of <clears throat> getting ready for this. But I wanted to let you know that we have a very special guest today, uh, the president-elect of ATA, the American Translators Association, a freelance translator and a fellow podcaster, actually. Welcome to Madalena Zampaolo. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. It's great having you because I've been following your show for a while now and really enjoy it. Um, it's called Smart Habits for Translators. Smart habits for translators, yeah. I kind of like that you went with the habits thing. What, what Was that your idea or where did it come from? Originally, it was my idea. I actually had an idea for another project related to habits uh, for translators. And I was talking to Veronica. We've worked with each other on some other things before in the past. And so we decided, let's talk about something that nobody else is really talking about which is related to work-life clarity and not just, you know, business and marketing and, and, you know, the things that people expect or, you know, when it comes to something related to translation or interpreting. This is what you see a lot online now. I mean, it's kind of becoming more and more. So we launched it in October of last year, 2019. And now we have listeners, I think, in over 40 countries. Wow. That's a pretty cool feeling, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's good. And people are telling us that even though it's, you know, smart habits for translators, that it's actually, you know, applicable to interpreters. And even, I think we've even had photographers and graphic designers tell us the same thing. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And I must admit, you know, you shouldn't go by the stats, but it's lovely when you look up the stats. And <laughs> although the, the, the nicest <laughs> thing which you'll get soon is when you go to our conference and people say the immortal words, which I've now had twice, I've never seen your face, but I would know that voice anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> See? Uh, 
Yeah. yeah, that's nice. No, the stats are only important to us to know, like, if people are picking up on it. And so, yeah, for mm. the 40 countries, since it's just been, what, like five months? Uh, for us, that felt like pretty good. Almost that's six pretty months. good. Yeah. It is yes. pretty good, yeah. And as I said, I really like that you go with the habits approach and also, um, yeah, you said it, you call it work-life clarity uh, because work-life balance is a bit of an overstretched term, I suppose. So um, what you're focusing on, it seems to me, is that it's really about clarity. So I kind of like that that approach. Um, right. Yeah, but um, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're You're based in California, is that right? Yeah, I'm based in Southern California. I live in Orange County, um, which is about two hours north of San Diego, about 45 minutes away from Los Angeles. And you're a, a freelance translator? Yeah, I'm a freelance translator. I do um, Spanish and Portuguese medical and life sciences translations uh, into English. And I also have a small boutique translation company that I, I you know, work with other translators in different languages as well. Okay. And um, how did you move into the medical and life sciences field? Is that something that you've always had in your pocket somewhere? Or? No, actually, no. I started um, as a medical interpreter, believe it or not. Mm, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, in the very beginning. So when I graduated, when I finished my graduate degree, I started um, as a medical interpreter, mostly doing, um, you know, like well, well baby appointments and things like that, building up uh, little by little. I did some community interpreting as well, um, especially for organizations like, um, I started in, in Louisville, Kentucky, actually. So there was an organization there called uh, the Center for Women and Families. So I would go there often and help to interpret um, a lot of their meetings uh, that they would have, support meetings and and things like that, and for their advocates and so on. Um, but then I also worked as a project manager. I've actually had a lot of roles. Um, so I worked as a project manager and scheduling interpreters. So um, it got to the point where I was so busy scheduling interpreters that I was uh, interpreting a little bit less, but then when somebody couldn't go, I was the person who would go for the Spanish, um, Spanish English appointments. Of course, there's not a lot of Portuguese in Louisville, Kentucky, so <laughs> I didn't do any of that. Um, but then, yeah, I transitioned into translation uh, after we moved. My husband um, was doing his PhD at Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, I moved there with him, and I had a background in teaching uh, languages, actually. So I worked for um, Ohio State University there, and I taught... Uh, Spanish and Portuguese um, language courses, but I realized that's not what I wanted to be doing full, full time, long term. Um, so I had been doing some translation as well, and I got to the point where I could transition into doing it full time. And that was, that was the end of that. Very cool. That is very cool. We just said that you're uh, the president-elect of ATA now. How soon did you start working in the association? Was that something that was sort of always important to you or... Yeah, actually, I joined ATA when I started freelance translating. Um, I became the administrator of the medical division of ATA, which has over 3,000 members. Um, the to give you an idea, um, the association itself is about 10,000 members. And so the medical division's got, I think it's over three. If it's not over three, it's right around three. Those um, numbers are insane because I think I... Yeah has like 3,000 members worldwide total. So yeah, it's globally. crazy. Yeah. The, the last time I looked at ITI, they were 3,000 3, and something. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. So but with the medical division, I mean, you're covering medical translators and interpreters. So, right, because we have an interpreters division as well, which is sure. over 4,000 people. That's, <laughs> yeah. again, right. huge, yeah. It is. 
Yeah. And so, um, so I was administrator of that division for four years and then I transitioned into working in different roles. So I was the, uh, public relations chair also for four years. I've been on the board, um, as a director before I became president elect as well. That's really cool. So in all those different roles, you really got to see the entire association inside and out from different perspectives. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. You know, I think it helps when you want to volunteer your time and, and give so much of your time to an association to really see it from different um, aspects, if you have the time and the interest to do it, right? Um, but, you know, now I think that experience has helped a lot because just being on the board alone, you see a much bigger picture of the association. But when you're actually serving in the different roles, um, and now I'm the chair of the membership committee as well, it's one of those things that you look at and you go, okay, this is a much bigger ship than, you know, people see from the outside yes. and how it functions in, in, rele- in relevance to the people who are members. I was going to say, I spent six years on the ITI board, and the one thing that I learned was what you what you think is possible when you've not been in a leadership position and what you know is possible when you are in that position are two entirely two different, different things. Two different things, completely, yep. Um, and people will make criticisms based on what they want done. And 99 times out of 100, everyone on the board wants to do that same thing. But as you said, it's a big ship to steer. And so sometimes you say either something like, yes, but not now, which people <laughs> always interpret as no, yeah. or you yeah. actually we would, uh, uh, the favourite answer with a couple of questions that we got was, we would love to. Now, uh, how much would you like your membership to go up by? Mm, yes, that's and a good point. Th- That sort of gave people a different perspective. Yeah, yeah, it's really true. I mean, that is one thing is that I'm, I'm somebody who produces a lot of ideas, so I've been on both sides of that. So, you know, I'll say, can we do this? Can we do that? And then when you start to actually see the numbers, you go, okay, maybe that was kind of a pipe dream, or maybe we need to work towards that like longer-term strategy. But yeah, it, it, your priorities become very clear after you see how things work. Yeah, mm. It's really funny though, because everybody who was in an association in like a managerial capacity always said the same thing, because we've had a few people on there. We had like the chair of the German Association of Conference Interpreters on, and also of the um, German chapter of AIC, and they said very, very similar things. Also the, the chair of ITI, it's always... The perspectives are always very different if you're, quote unquote, just a member and if you're actually working from within the organization. It's really funny. That's just true across the board, it seems. So people wait for associations to do things. And I've realized some things, and I'm maybe going to be controversial here. I haven't said that word for a few episodes. Um, But some things I think are actually better achieved by a small group of individuals who just get stuff done. Very true. Sometimes, yeah. There are some some things that the association is only able to do. You know, only an association can represent the profession. But, you know, going to individual conferences, going to individual meetings, making contacts, that's something the individual members should be great at. Yeah. And, you know, if there's some contacts, feed them back. But waiting for, you know, why were you not at this event? Why were you not at that event? Or well, the question for the members is, why don't you go? <laughs> you know, you can yeah. achieve just as much going as an individual member as you can waiting for the association to be able to afford the stand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you find something that's really important to you and you think, well, I want this to get done or I want the association to do this, it's kind of like, okay, are you willing to volunteer and help with yes. that? You know, and that comes up and, and then sometimes you see people back off a little bit and other times you see that where the energy comes from. Like we have one division that's pretty new, the audiovisual division, and they are just super active like everywhere they're having events all over the world uh that they're you know organizing but kind of remotely and they're doing an excellent job that's awesome Awesome, yeah and i think one part of being president elect of ata is also that you 
get to be or have to be the the organizer of the conference. Isn't that true? Yes, that, that seems is like traditionally such a daunting role. task to me. It's such a huge conference. I've only been once, but I, I can only imagine how much work goes into preparing that every year. I mean, it's every year, so. Yeah, it is a lot. And I think that most people realize it's a big amount of work, but it's another one of those things that until you're in the role, I mean, honestly. With, yeah, when you do it yourself. It's, yeah, it's funny. So we, um, President-elect will organize two conferences. So I have the one this year in Boston. And I think next year, I think we're in Minneapolis, but you know, the bigger cities tend to attract more people as well. And that's expected. But this year, for example, we just closed the call for proposals. We had 494 proposals Jesus. to review. Yeah, still a lot. Um, but at the same time, you know, the planning of it literally starts during the previous conference even because I, I think I was elected and the next day I had a few meetings already and I was asking to, to, to make decisions about this coming year's conference already. So, I mean, I knew it was in, you know, in the works, it was coming up, but I didn't realize how immediate it was because it does take a lot to, to organize. Yeah. But, you know, the staff at our association, they, they do the legwork. They really make it happen. Hats off to all you guys. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, Absolutely. And then still, somehow, you still find time to, you know, do the podcast now as well. Um, and you also provide training. Is it is it mostly online training? Or do you also have, like, training courses uh, in real life, as it were? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thanks for asking that. I, I teach mostly online. Um, I kind of had a background already in online teaching when I was teaching languages. A lot of that was shifting at the universities to online courses, which is not the best. Uh, I can say that. Um, it's, it was one of those things, actually, it was very frustrating to try to teach language courses online to, at one point, I had a couple of courses that each had 60 students in it, which oh boy. each one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. yeah, it's a lot. But, you know, I've also taught courses online um, that have between eight and 25 students. So, I mean, it really just depends on what it is and the structure. But now what I teach online is related to topics for translators uh, mostly. And some interpreters also take my courses as well. Like the one that I teach twice a year right now that I'm considering maybe putting online as um, something that people can buy at any time of the year because it is quite popular. I get requests for it the whole year when I'm not teaching it is um, my TNI website blueprint course. And that's the course that tends to be very popular because, you know, translators and interpreters know that they need a website oftentimes or they wanted to always put one together or they stalled out a few times and, and that's mm. something that they really want to make happen. But um, the other, um, I've also taught some webinars that are uh, available. So one is about blogging, maintaining a blog, um, because that's of interest to some translators as well. And uh, the other one is about growing your business through LinkedIn using LinkedIn. That's a perfect segue, actually. So thank you for that. Oh. <laughs> uh, we're right at the topic that we're going to discuss tonight, which is um, having a website and, and just being present online in various ways. Uh, and we, we've been doing this topic for a while, I think. And then I sort of thought, well, you would be the perfect guest to do this. So yes. thanks for joining us. And um, I guess one question that I would ask to, to all the freelancers in the virtual studio is, what your approach was. And I'd be interested as well in hearing from Alex and, and Jonathan, when you started out in the profession, was it immediately clear to you or did people tell you, this is one of the first things you need to do is you need to, need to have a website or what, what, was, what did it feel like when you started out in terms of being present online? Okay, I think I might start with a story. Um, so for the first couple of years, I basically had a prose profile and a translator's cafe profile. Oh my God, yes. Because... Oh, 
Oddly enough, though, I had rewritten my church's website in bare HTML, no CMS, all hand-coded, every single letter on that website. I put it myself. I was so proud of myself. Those were the days, yes. <laughs> um, and then what happened was I realized that I needed a website when 10 years ago last month, I ended up in five national newspapers, two national TV channels, and CBC Radio Canada within the same week. And I realized at that point that I had practically zero web presence to do anything with all that coverage that I was getting. So I built myself a website in WordPress because I knew WordPress because I'd been, I had like a personal blog for ages and it was gray on gray color scheme. <laughs> Um, I've actually found it in the Internet Archive because I put it in my new book as an example of what not to do. <laughs> and it, literally, the homepage was, welcome to the homepage of Integrity Languages, where you'll find the information on Integrity Languages. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Pretty straightforward, I'd say. Yeah. And it was only about oh, 2015, 2016 that I managed to get the money together and pay um, a brother of uh, one of my good friends to do a proper website and he is a professional web designer and literally within like six months of it coming out it won awards it's been getting really good feedback I still fiddle with it now um and I wish I'd done it earlier but then I think if I'd done it earlier I wouldn't have known how to do it right doing it that far into my career meant I knew exactly what I wanted it to do I knew exactly who I wanted to target I knew exactly what budget I had to get to get it right and I was able to be much more focused. I think if I'd professionally designed it on day one, it would have still been grey on grey and rubbish. Um, although I wish I had it earlier, I'm glad I did the journey to get it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I kind of agree with you on that because my first website, like I, I started out the same way. I had a prose profile, like a translator's cafe profile, and then just like, you know, put myself on LinkedIn. Do you guys still have those, by the way? Sorry. I think those profiles still exist. I never <laughs> deleted them. I think mine do too, but I, I don't even remember how to log in anymore. It's been that many years. Exactly. So can't get rid of it. <laughs> it's kind of an orphan. Yeah. It's kind of like a MySpace profile. I still have that one because I never deleted it. <laughs> <laughs> if Bebo was still alive, I'd still have a Bebo profile. My pros profile, every six months I update it because they send me begging emails to update it and also because I do the occasional webinar for them. The only emails I get through it now are... Uh, would you like to be a, a search analyst or whatever guff it is nowadays? That's fun. Yeah, but so basically that was kind of my introduction as well. And then when I um, moved back over to Germany and started really interpreting full-time, one of the first things that I did was I got in touch with a friend of mine who um, back then he was doing websites. I think now he's actually like a software engineer or something. So he's kind of switched gears a little bit. But then I downloaded this free HTML5 template which was responsive and everything, and it looked really cool. But then I helped him um, kind of, or he helped me, I should say, uh, kind of design it around my web presence, but it was a one-pager, so it wasn't really anything anything special. It looked cool. It was, you know, responsive and everything. And I kind of, similar to Jonathan, I learned how to do, like, the HTML5 coding enough to be able to fiddle around with the text and insert new pictures and stuff. But CMS, to me, that was always a complete mystery. Like, I never was able to do that. and that worked, but then eventually it kind of got boring. And also it was just, you know, it wasn't much. It was a one pager. And now I've moved on to Squarespace. And I love Squarespace. It's really, really cool. Team Squarespace represent. They should sponsor us. They, they should. should. I know. Sponsor us. <laughs> yeah, am, I, am I the only person who still thinks WordPress is good? So I have an opinion on WordPress, and I'm about to talk about that later. Okay. Yeah. Spare that for later. <laughs> I'm a big fan of WordPress too, but uh, an even bigger fan of Squarespace. I am not. 
Yeah, so yeah, Squarespace, well, I, I'm I did not a fan that. Either. Yeah, um, but apparently, what is it like? Thirty percent of the web runs on WordPress. Yeah. So yeah, so I I went to Squarespace and similar to you, Jonathan, I think if I'd actually gotten someone to do it for me earlier, it wouldn't have come out the way that it, that it is now. And I'm very happy with the way that it is right now. And I did everything myself, which makes me even happier and even prouder. And it took a long time, but then. I think I could have probably just like churn it out in like a month or so, but then I just wanted it to be right because this is a much bigger website than I had earlier with much more, you know, subsites and what what have you. And so I just wanted it to be right. And I have two user experience researchers who are friends of mine. And I was like, listen, look at my website before I put this online. I have another friend of mine who's a graphic designer. And I was like, look at this. Can I make this? better somehow. So even though I did it myself, I actually got some experts on board <laughs> at the very last minute. And then they were like, okay, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. And I was like, so that's how it worked out. And I'm and I like it. I'm pretty proud. Cool. But I feel like it's a necessity. I mean I know a lot of colleagues who don't have websites because they've just been in business for, you know, for eons. And um they legit just don't need a website because they just don't need it. Um, but I think if you've not been in the business for like 35 years, then a website is a must. When I see people who have a website, what really irks me is if they have a website, but they still have a free email address. Yes. So for me, if you have a website, so like I have integritylanguages.co.uk, one thing that I make sure that I have is I have the email address with at integritylanguages.co.uk. I so agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually... It concerns me because I've had times where I've been contacting people for large amounts of work and I feel uncomfortable saying to a client, you know, referring a client, so, you know, this is the best interpreter and such and such. Oh, yeah, their address is at yahoo.com. Or Hotmail. Mm. <laughs> yes, I was thinking <laughs> so, of Hotmail. So, yeah, hotmail is the yeah, worst. Yeah, Yahoo and Hotmail are like the really make me worry. Gmail, I'll go maybe okay, but if you've got Yahoo, Hotmail, it's like... And especially if they have a really nice website with their own URL, you think, yeah. why? Why have you not, why? if you bought the domain anyway, yeah. pay the extra 20 quid a year or whatever to have your email at that address too. It just makes sense. But then on the flip side, I get very irked at people who have their own um, email address. I don't know, like Jonathan at downy.co.uk. And then I click on, you know, then I'm like, haha, I want to see his website. So and I they don't have it, one. And they don't yeah. have one. And I'm like, uh, why? This is so weird. I don't get it. It is weird. Yeah. Or, or, or the worst one is when they've got, when it like just says this space is reserved and it's like, so you do own the domain. But you haven't done anything with it. It's like a construction mm. sign. That's the gift that we used. <laughs> anyway, yeah. it feels like Madalena's trying to jump in there. I, I don't know if you wanted to. Uh, no, no, no. Jump. It's just I, I completely agree. Well, yeah. first of all, to talk about what WordPress, my very first site was on WordPress too, and I, I didn't take the time to learn coding, and I didn't mm -hmm. want to. Um, well, that's the idea, I, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I, over time, I ended up. I did my first website. It wasn't great. I think everybody's first website is really kind of probably mm. rough, especially because mine was sure. at least 10 years ago as well. Um, and then from there, I needed somebody to help me with coding and things like that. So I hired somebody to do that. That you know, New websites could do that for me. Problem was, the only thing that I could update myself was my blog. <laughs> so I couldn't make any other changes. And when I wanted changes, I, I had to wait for his schedule to be able to work the changes in. Even if I found like a random typo or something, I couldn't change it myself necessarily without 
you know, worrying that I was going to mess everything up uh, when it came to the code. So I just said, mm, this is not a good idea. Um, but it took me a long time to get off of WordPress. And when I found Squarespace, I was like, okay, this is it. I'm moving my website. So I don't remember when I started using Squarespace, but several years ago. And I tell everybody that now. So even with the website course I teach, like you don't have to use Squarespace, but that's what I teach is, um, is using it in Squarespace. You can still get a lot from the course, but you're going to have to figure out on your own if you're going to use other website builders or other website, you know, something like that that needs code. And there are some people who've taken it that have done really well with code, um, but that's not my strength and I, it's not something I'm interested in learning. But it's true what you say too about email addresses. I mean, it's such a minor thing. It's like if you're going to pay the 200 or so dollars a year for your site, what's $20 more? You know, you get that back in one job a few times over at least. And so it's like, why, why not? But um, Jonathan, I think you're the first person now that I met who has probably as long of an email address as me. So. <laughs> <laughs> it, this, this, I mean, there was such a debate about that. I, I picked the, company, the business name about 12 years ago now. And even if I wanted to change it now, I probably couldn't. Um, now, I must admit, I'm still team WordPress one, one, because I haven't tried Squarespace. Two, because I had to do some some work for a university and they were using Joomla. Mm. And Joomla is torture. And so the thought now of learning another CMS, now that I know everything, now that I've got WordPress set up how I like it and the way that my designer set it up, I can do the edits and and code myself. It's fine. The thought of moving to another CMS is just like, I don't want to go through the Joomla stuff again. But I think that's the thing is... um, it's finding what works for you and what allows you to change it as your priorities change. I've realized I thought when you wrote the text of the pages on the website, it would stay static. Oh, yeah. And you would never touch it again. And actually, for a while, I was changing my homepage like every month. Now I've kind of let it settle for a while. And it's a case of, you know what? I'm going to, now I know my position, I'm going to slowly make changes. And at the moment, I'm concentrating on doing blogging in the position that I want. But now I'm like, well, now I'm learning more and more every day about the kind of people I want to work with. I know what I can do with the text of the website to make it work. Yeah. Um, and, and any idea that once you write a page, that's at static forever. Oh, boy, no. <laughs> if only. But it's funny what you just said, because I remember spending so much time fiddling around, fiddling around with, with pages and working on something and trying to figure stuff out, especially in the early days with HTML. And now I just I have no patience for that whatsoever. I'm, mm. I'm so happy that I can just pick a template, put in some content and be done with it. Yeah. You can do coding in the Squarespace templates, but you don't oh, have yeah. to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the nice thing about it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there were so many things that I wanted to get to, so I'm trying to do it in the in the right order, I guess. So I suppose one of the questions that would be interesting to me is the whole question of whether you kind of do it yourself, because that that's what we were getting into there a little bit, or whether you should pay a professional. Because that's what interpreters always say, is, you know, don't just ask your friend who knows two languages or something to interpret, get a professional. So should we do the same with a website or is it enough to get a a website builder or something like Squarespace or WordPress.com? What are your thoughts on that? Um, So I think that, you know, I've done both. So um, for me, it was, um, I did get people to help me with like my logo and certain design elements and branding and things like that. But when it comes to um, having control of what goes on on your website without having to pay somebody to constantly keep it updated, for me, that was important. 
I'm never going to tell somebody like, don't use a professional. That's never going to be the case. But at the same time, there are certain things you can do with your website. And that's why they've created, you know, things like this out of the box, like Squarespace, um, for people to be able to have that kind of control. I still have somebody that when I don't have time to make big updates to my website, I pay a designer to actually help me with that. Something that I can do myself even now because I know Squarespace so well, but if I don't have the time to do it, uh, I do hire somebody to help me with that. And also it helps that the person knows design, like they study design, mm. right? Um, but I do think it's empowering for translators and interpreters to, to have that control because not everybody's like Jonathan and likes coding and can do that. Um, you know, most of us probably don't. So it's one of those things that we have to like weigh out, you know, it's like you said, you can't have static web pages forever you really do need to keep updating your website and so having that control i mean i talked to somebody just yesterday one of my course students we were going over her finished website and i was giving her little suggestions on what to tweak and she says she's been waiting to get her website going for 10 years and she's like finally now i feel like i can be proud of this and share this with my clients so great it's very interesting yeah. And I think that's that's also one thing that is the big advantage of a content management system like, you know, even Squarespace or Joomla or WordPress or Drupal or whatever you want to use, is that you can separate between the design and the layout and the content. And then you can give the sort of layout and design stuff to a designer or an a professional where you can take care of the content, you can update it, you can change the copy or, you know, start a blog or whatever it may be. I think that's the, the big advantage that people have there as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as well, I would recommend that because the, the coding that I do is kind of basic HTML formatting and, and watching where things are going to land. And there's something to be said for at least understanding kind of basic HTML, like hitting bold. Um, what was I, I, I wrote a really long blog post recently and I checked the HTML so that I could put in an anchor so that someone could skip to halfway down. Those, those little tweaks actually are really helpful and I think mm. some CMSs let you do that natively but if you know yourself this is how I do it. I just looked up to check I was doing it right if you know how to do that it means that you can put in features that aren't natively in your CMS that just make life easy make things easier to read um, so I would say to people know a little bit about what's going on in the background you know learn like what's the HTML for bold for a hyperlink for an internal link just so that you can add little features if you need to be yeah, it's it's great when you can separate content and layout and understand what each is doing we have to get you on squarespace <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to know of any of that stuff you could just add it with a click of a button <laughs> do you have a coupon code madalena <laughs> you should probably have your own coupon code <laughs> i know i don't think they even do that but if they do i should get one yeah or an associate what do you call it um Affili affiliate code affiliate that's what i was looking for yes exactly yeah, but I think it's interesting because I, just like you, Marilena, I now have experience with doing it myself on Squarespace and also using a like an agency, like a web design agency, because I just launched another website with a colleague of mine because we, we just formed this sort of network with four teams in Germany. So we have like one overarching team website and then all the teams have their individual website and they all look alike. So basically it was kicked off by one of the teams. They already had the template done with the agency. So we basically just kind of hooked into that and, you know, adjusted it with regional content for us. Um, and it was okay. I think what I liked about it was that the, that the agency was very responsive. So if ever we needed anything, they did it relatively quickly. But with that, there was also a little bit of sloppiness involved um, that, 
you know, if it had just been me, I could have fixed it easily. But then you always have to go and and do that little loop. You're like, okay, I need this done. They do it. You still find another, another mistake. You got to go back to them. Then they get away. So there's a lot of, of that redundancy in there. And it's on um, WordPress. And they gave us the login details because I said I need the login details. I need to be able to like, you know, if there's a comma missing, I don't want to have to write you an email. I want to be able to do it myself. Right. So exactly. to that point, I've, I've figured it out. Um, but I think it's just incredibly complicated. Like, you know, I mean, I also really didn't have the, the time or patience so far to kind of sink my teeth into it, but it's not intuitive. Nope. Like even just looking through it and, you know, if I want to add a link to something or kind of redirect a link on the website, like I probably could figure it out because it's WordPress. I'm sure there's like a gazillion YouTube tutorials on everything that you would could possibly know yep. or want to know. Um, but it is not intuitive. And their mind. help team is really good. Their support team oh, okay. is great. That's good to know. Oh, yeah. If you ever, I think I've used them like twice only, but they're excellent and they get back to you immediately. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so that's a bit challenging. Yeah. It, it's interesting because, as well as the design elements of, of a website, that question of what should be on it. And I'm beginning to form the opinion, in fact, I think, and yes, I did write it in my new book. Um, that what? You write books? If you Just, look at <laughs> two, two so far. Um, I, <laughs> I um I, I mentioned that I, I kind of did this joke experiment that I looked tried to find the interpreters' websites, which is hard enough anyway. And then when I looked at them, I realized that if you took the headshot off one interpreter's website and put it on another one, no one would know the difference. Like you could literally change the names over and the website wouldn't change. And it's because interpreters and translators often put the same things on their website that aren't necessarily relevant. Yep. That's um, true. You know, where you got your degrees from, yeah, probably most clients won't care. Um, you, you know, uh, the fact that you've loved languages since you had a hamster at the age of six. It's like, <laughs> really? You, I, I have a passion for proofreading. Yep. No, you're yep. a grammar nerd. That's a different thing. <laughs> But what, what should be? I mean, aren't there some standards that should be on more or less every page? Like some, I think so. I mean, I agree that you, you, not every interpreter needs to explain the difference between consecutive and simultaneous because there are so many sources for this. But aren't there some things that need to be more or less there, some defaults? I don't know. I think there definitely are a lot of defaults. But I think a lot of the times, especially interpreters and translators, um, think that the rules of modern website design don't apply to us. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, shame. Because, you know, like right now everything is visual and, you know, usually websites are kind of white or at least very, yeah, very one colored, very minimal, not yes. a lot of text. And then yes. you will just have these websites that are like, you know, like Jonathan was saying earlier, like that was your website 10 years ago. That, those are still a ton of websites out there that are gray and gray, no pictures with like 20 paragraphs of text. Yeah. And you're like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, so I think, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say that's true. And sometimes, you know, I had this conversation a couple of weeks ago in person with a bunch of translators and interpreters and a couple of them really got it. And they said, well, yeah, you you talk about websites all the time. Like this needs to be more up to date and more, you know, dynamic and, and engaging. And I said, yeah. And then somebody laughed because I was mentioning the fact that a lot of these websites, I mean, it's almost as if you visit them and you go, does this person still work? Are they still in business? Yeah, because totally. it's so old. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just so old that you think, yeah. well, 
it's just a bunch of text or they don't want to put their headshot on it. I mean, I don't understand that part very well, but that's something I find a lot. And actually, even among my website students, I actually, this kind of bothers me a little bit because I think, well, don't you want to see who you're going to be hiring and who you're going to be working with? I mean, exactly. But to be fair, this also cuts both ways because there are a lot of websites that have the headshot on on there. And I know the colleague and I know that's what they looked like 25 years ago. That is not what they look like anymore. And I know for a fact that's why they don't change it anymore. And so that kind of, you know, I don't want to be shady, but that's just the truth. It's more flattering. It is more flattering. And they're great pictures. So I get yeah. it. <laughs> Am I the only person who's been embarrassed at a conference by someone who's saying, don't you recognize me? And the real answer is, I, re- I recognize you 10 years ago. I don't recognize you now. No, yeah, exactly. That's true. Yeah. Um, but I mean, one of the things that, I'm reali- that I realized when I was building this website is we talk way too much about ourselves. Yes, um, that's the thing. So I realized, and I was talking to marketing people, I think it was when I was at a CIOL marketing event or something, when someone said, and I can't remember who it was, I wish I could quote them, said, your website should be more about the, what you do for your clients than who you are yourself. Yes. Yep, definitely. And, I, and they, they're like, if, if you're front and center, then the only person who's going to buy from you is you. If your clients and what you can do for them is front and center, then you have a reason to talk about you because you're, you know later on you get to justify why you're the right person to do that. And so I, I started writing my front page and I've rewritten it three times since saying, going, okay, let's put them front and center. Let's put their needs there. And um, I got a criticism that someone wrote me an email after my website had been up about 18 months and they went, you're, you don't have your, um, all the universities you got your degrees from on your front page <laughs> and you don't say how you became an interpreter on your front page. I'm like, yeah, because no one cares. <laughs> yeah, nobody cares. <laughs> Okay. The people who care about that are, are us, each other. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It's exactly. like, it's true. Our clients are not looking for that. Like, where did they go to school or, or what did they do and how did uh-huh. they get into this? But it's true that a lot of times, it, I, even my, my students, I tell them, they don't care, you know, that you, you were so excited about learning Spanish at a young age. It's nice to know that, but it's not something mm. that you need to take up that, you know, online real estate with. There's, there's other things you could be telling people. What they really want to know is how you're getting them results or how you're helping them overcome the challenges they have. So, yeah, it's true. It needs to be all about the, the ideal client that you're trying to reach, not about yourself. Even though you do have to say, you know, I provide this, you got to make it like you-oriented copy and, and you get about them. I was going to say that probably also means that you have to find the right language, right? The right words, the right copy to hit that person. I was going to say hit that person on the head, but to target the person's <laughs> other, the ideal, the ideal customers that you like. Yeah, I think actually I'm going to do another edit to my front page. I've got it in front of me now. Going, uh, that, that is, this is a, a dangerous time to. But one of the one of the things that I realized <laughs> more convincing to clients when I talked about results than even when I said the words interpreting and translation. Um, I came to this really sad realization that most of the clients that I want to work with don't know what an interpreter is. And so making my front page about interpreting is actually a bad move. Making my front page about getting them results when they have multilingual meetings or international meetings, that's the right move. Um, and it, So now when people ask what I do, the first thing I say is I don't say that I'm an interpreter. I say uh, I help businesses to grow internationally and then they go oh how do you do that then you can say you're an interpreter um 
and it's taken me so long to get it. I think I'd be smart enough to get it earlier, but it's taken me a long, long time to realize when you're networking, don't make interpreter or translator the first thing that you say when someone asks, what do you do? That sounds odd, but it just works. But I think it's also a question of the approach because I think that approach, you know, you just sold it really well and I think that can also really work. But for me, my approach for the new website, when, when I decided that I wanted to make a new website, I had two things in mind. I, I wanted to make it very visual just because a lot of interpreter and translator websites aren't. So that was like my main focus, that it was very visual. And also I wanted to make sure that it's premium, both in its appearance and also in the content, because fact is that interpreting, and especially conference interpreting, costs a lot of money. So I wanted to, the client to know that what they're looking at is not cheap just by the look and feel of the website. So that's kind of where I was operating from. And that's why for me, um, I do mention that, you know, I'm a conference interpreter and I do this and that, whatever, on, on, the, on the homepage. But then I go into what you guys were just discussing as well, you know, what, I can, what can I do for the clients? And then I break it down for them. So I think you have to decide what your approach is, kind of like your this is going to sound very metaphysical, but like kind of your, your philosophy on, on your website, like what you want it to represent. And then you go into that. Cause I think there are various really valid ways of doing it, but kind of figuring it out as you go is only going to make the process more, well, longer and more cumbersome than it needs to be. I think. Yeah. Does it make any sense? It does. It does. I think that there's a way to appeal to clients that, especially premium clients versus, you know, the opposite. It, there really is a, a big difference um, between the two. Uh, I, I'm always trying to tell my, my colleagues, stop, stop writing about the fact that you're, you know, um, you're saving them money or you're doing this or that. And, and, you know, it's not about always about the price. They want to know that you're the best person for them to hire. It's not always the fact that you're affordable. You know, that's not the key or, or saying, you know, you're providing free such and such, you know, stop, stop talking about price right up front and really get to the point of what you provide to them and your copy and your images can really portray that. I, I agree with that. Yeah. I did a marketing course once and she said, you lead with value, not with service. And I thought that's a really interesting thing of, you know, if you lead with value first. And it's now, so now I do a lot of writing for magazines and I've realized with them, uh, leading with something that, that, that I know they want is far more valuable than leading with, look at who I've written for. And it's that switch of what did, put what they want first. Yeah. Mm. And then you can talk about, you know, what you offer and all that. And, it's hard to get to that because we love our work so much. We become almost, we almost fall in love with it. And so to kind of stand back and put our business head on and say, what do my clients actually want? What is it they're actually buying? Okay, that's what goes on my website. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're not saying, they're not waking up going, hey, today I want to, you know, hire a translator. I want to hire an interpreter. <laughs> they're saying, no, today I have to figure out how the heck I'm going to talk to this person across the world mm. um, and figure this out and have this meeting or get somebody for a conference, you know, that, that specializes in this, you know, technical area that is not easy to find. Exactly. It, it brings me back, there was a, a question on Instagram today, um, is they were talking about uh, talking about interpreting. Is it? Uh, do you see your interpreting as an art or as a or as a a technical science? And I wrote back and went, neither. I see it as a business. And oh, you're being so clinical. It's like no. Bottom line is, I'm not here to interpret for me. I'm here to interpret for my clients. So whether it's an art or a science really isn't important. 
what that does for my clients is way more important and that should be driving my decisions and also the fact that you have to pay your rent with it is also just you know mm -hmm. not unimportant i would say <laughs> indeed yeah. um but what does that mean in terms of content so how do we how do we make sure that the client gets the memo basically is it just copy should that be i don't know i, I, I sometimes see audio samples or um, photos of people on assignments mm. what about yeah. that kind of stuff that's something that i think about a lot um because one of the things that comes up often is there are translators who, and maybe interpreters too but i talk to more translators these days and they tell me that they want to start blogging and they want to put it on their website and i'm going wait a minute is this blog for your clients or is this blog for colleagues This is two different things. Mm. Uh, your colleagues are not paying your bills. So if you're going to be appealing to your clients, these are the people who you need to be writing content for that's valuable to them, that they're going to feel engaged with so that they come to the conclusion, this person knows what they're doing. They know what they're talking about. I need to hire this person uh, versus another person who has maybe similar services. Um, something else that I keep asking the interpreters who take my course to do is to have a video sample on their website, either on the homepage or their about page of them speaking so that the, pe the person who could be hiring them next actually sees them. They hear their voice. They hear the, the way that they, they talk and how they pronounce things. And it's, um, something that, you know, I think who better than interpreters to do that. Uh, but it's, it definitely needs to be, um, coming across more on every page of, of somebody's website whatever is there needs to be valuable for the client um first and foremost and sometimes that's hard to do because uh translators are not used to working this way interpreters probably um even less because they're working every day with spoken language so to portray you know what it is they do and the value that they provide is not an easy thing to do at first but when you start to actually sit back and wonder like how can i talk about this the best way i can think of to do this is to use words your clients would use um, if you have testimonials from clients, use those, um, portray that on your website, use the words that are used in the industry that you tend to work in or the mm. industries you tend to work in and not things that we would say, right? And there's a, probably a lot of examples we could think of that we see on, on so many, yeah. website. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's just one of those things that you go and you think, okay, A client will not even know what that is. And I even had an interesting conversation the other day. So I'm glad I'm talking to you guys because um, somebody said to me, would it make sense at all as an interpreter to, to put any keywords on my website with the word translator? Because a lot of clients think that interpreters are called translators. And I thought that was a very interesting concept. Um, you'd have to be real careful about how you did that, right? But at the same yeah. time, it's, it's really paying attention to the way that customers speak. And that's a controversial issue, I know, um, as far as like what, if, you know, I'm not saying you should go call yourself a translator when you're an interpreter. Right. Um, but pay attention to the way that customers speak, because that really informs your copy a lot. Definitely. I have just one quick data point on this, because the, the, this has been a discussion in, in AIC for a few years. And the, and the main website of AIC, of this international association, actually has, let me just check this. Um, it says... In the title, AIC interpreters are professionals who translate orally between over 60 languages. And I know there's been a lot of cooling about this because people say it's not a translation. You know, it's not translation, it's interpreting. But um, I'm assuming they've tested this and it just works better, I guess. So why not do it? My take is I would definitely use that in things like your SEO keywords. And some of the posts that, so that I've noticed there are two kinds of posts that do well. So I, I tried to blog more on my website. I tried to blog more and more for clients. 
just occasionally I've written more stuff for interpreters just because of topics that came up and because I'd written about clients, I'd written something for clients and I had to clarify. Um, and so when I'm writing for clients, I try to think, okay, what questions would clients ask? And the two posts that have, two kinds of posts that have done the best on my blog have either been really basic kind of first year, first day of university posts, you know, um, how, uh, which do you need a translator or an interpreter? And in that case, you've, you've got a great opportunity to put SEO keywords in there, or are these are speech translation gadgets any good? Again, you've got an excuse there. But the other type of post that's done even better has been when I've been talking about something going on in my client's world. And then it's easier for you to just use the word interpreter because the attraction to that post is not translator or interpreter, the interaction to that post is it's a post on exporting and it's a post on um, something in their world, you know, international conferences and that's what has drawn them. So then if you use interpreter in that post, it's you don't have to choose as much, if that makes sense. Whereas if you're writing, and I think there is a place for if your clients need them for an explainer post, I wouldn't dedicate an entire page to it, but, you know, a quick explainer blog post written in an engaging style you will get people coming just because, I mean, my best performing post ever was um, explaining the difference between translation and interpreting, but in a way that made sense to clients. Mm -hmm. And that, that that's still my top performing post ever. And I've seen kind of other translators and interpreters share that and say, oh, th this is what my clients need to know. It's like, fine. Hmm. Um, and it's the little explainers do really, really well and actually get you opportunities to do stuff that wouldn't otherwise exist. Um, that that the topic of blogs is interesting to me because I know I, I don't know if that's still the case, but I seem to remember that there was this recommendation always. Yeah, you need to have a blog on your website because it keeps the website fresh and you know SEO, search engine optimization. Always careful with the acronyms. Um, <laughs> but then I sometimes look at these blogs and think mm, it's actually not very interesting. Is anybody reading this? Is this really worth all the trouble? Mm. So I don't know if that's really a recommendation that that I would make. Um, so I'm really wondering if it's if it's that important for keeping your search results high up in Google. I don't know. I think it's also if there's any research on that or any experience. I think in general, when it comes to content, I think if you want to do a blog, that's fine, but make sure it's good. For me, like the, yeah. the rule that I, because you know, like the rule that I tend to live by is I would prefer less content but good content than just a smorgasbord of like mediocre stuff that's out there and i think that goes totally. for for anything you know it could be just like a random text on your web page it could be a blog it could be pictures because i know a ton of websites of a ton of colleagues who have like you know smartphone pictures like a little selfie in the booth and that's like their professional picture on the website mm -hmm. and i'm like no you can't do that just get like a professional photographer like once in your life and, and a good headshot on the website. Yeah. yeah get a good headshot um so i think if you're doing a like a mediocre blog you can update it every single day and it's not really going to do much because people are going to go on there once and i don't know i think i don't know if anybody wants to jump in there real quick but i i do have um just one more thing to say, because a lot of the times people um, only optimize their website. You know, it could be like um, the the front end, so what you see on the page, or it could be like the the search engine optimization that you do in basically the, the back end of the website. But what they forget is that you can also 
do a lot for your website yourself. You know, you can do Google My Business, you can do posts there, you can list it in a lot of regional directories, you can put it on your professional accounts for the ATA or the IEC or whatever. So all of that stuff helps your website as well. Even if you get it out there on social media and get a few clicks on there and get a little bit of interaction there, that helps as well. So I think a lot of times people just get focused on one particular measure. They're saying, I'm going to do a blog now. And then they do the blog every day and it actually is not the greatest blog in the world. And they're still surprised and wondering why they're not getting a ton of visitors. But I think it has to be like a comprehensive approach that you take with your website. Yeah, I think so. I mean, one of those things uh, with blogging, I feel like if you're going to do it, you have to do it well, just like anything that you're going to do consistently. So it, yes. But it does not make sense to do something consistently if it's not done well, which yeah. is what, what you're saying. Um, so, I mean, even if you're just going to blog once a month, make it a really good comprehensive blog post rather than just producing content to produce content because that's not going to boost anything over time. And it is a long-term game, really. I mean, blogging's yes. been around a long time now, Absolutely. but it has shifted over the years. And so I would say that for somebody who's not quite sure if they want to blog or uh, I actually just suggested this this morning. I was teaching, um, I'm teaching a copywriting course right now for Corinne McKay's, um, uh, what is it called? Tra Training for Translators, I think it's mm -hmm. called. Um, yeah. It, and somebody said, well, I'd like to blog, but my, you know, she, she translates into English. So her clients tend to be in France. And she said, but I don't know that I should be blogging in French. And I said, look, if you don't want to be blogging in general, you don't really have to be doing that. There are other mm. ways that you can build traffic to your website. I mean, one of the things we were talking about, like, like a frequently asked questions page, you know, everybody thinks, well, that's kind of a boring page, right? But if you put the questions as headlines on the website, what you'll see is that people are searching these days using questions, right? They're searching with those voice oh, yeah. assistants. They're searching in Google with full questions. And if you know the types of questions your clients are actually asking, you can make that, you know, even on just a little blurb about it, but if you have the right question in your, in your headline, that's going to boost your results better than a mediocre blog post. Totally. So I want to tell a quick story just as we, we wrap this up. So one of the, some of the most, some of the best working content I've ever written has been when I've left the house and gone to an event aimed at the kind of clients I want to work with and then gone home and blogged about it. Honestly mm -hmm. blogged about it, not just said, well, wonderful event because People can see through that. So I blogged about one event that was a good event, but really missed a trick with not mentioning languages and interpreting at all. So I, I wrote an honest blog post saying this was a really good event. The speakers were really good, but they didn't mention languages. I had been chatting to one of the organizers during the event anyway, because of that post, they kind of retweeted that post and, and shared it themselves, which was great, got me traffic. And then I got invited to do a webinar for the organization that ran the event, which again, referred traffic back to my website. So writing not just about translation and interpreting, but write, writing about translation and interpreting in context that your clients care about or in uh, events that they've already been to is a really, really powerful way to get useful traffic because I don't think there's an interpreter on the planet who cared about the event that I was at apart from me, mm -hmm. but there were a lot of potential clients who were at that event and would have seen, because I think it got sent out on a mailer as well, would have seen that post. Mm -hmm. So being in the places your clients are looking, which I think is a good segue into asking, you know, do we, our website is still really important when we've got association directories or how do we make the two work together? 
Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. And actually, it, it reminds me of something you said earlier. It's, you know, you, you did something earlier in your career and then you didn't have a website yet to, to drive that traffic to. But those backlinks are actually really, really important for driving more traffic to your website. Um, and so the same thing with directory listings and associations. I mean, directory listings are wonderful. They're really helpful um, to have, but they provide a solid and high quality backlink. Um, you know, Google and the search engines, they actually consider those sites high quality most of the mm. time because they have dynamic content. But when it's driving somebody to your website, you're actually sort of sending them down the path to, you know, quote unquote, your home. So build the home first and the paths next to lead to it, right? Um, but also it's just limited what you can put into those profiles usually. Yes. Uh, you, you can only put so much in there, but with your website, you can really, you know, speak to a client's you know, to the value that the client wants. Um, whereas with a profile, you're kind of limited, you know, these are my language pairs, are these my specializations? You can only put so much. I, I mean, I've seen some people put like loads of content. I'm thinking nobody's reading that on a profile. The profile is really there for a quick glance and then give me your contact information and I'll, I'll contact you. Do you know what's really funny on that note? Just a quick comment because Aik Germany did something really, really smart, I think. Um, on the profile, on the membership profile, you can now list your website, but they will only allow that if you link to the Aik website, either to the, the full website or to your profile from your home page. The link exchanges back. <laughs> yeah. That is very smart. So yeah. it's super smart because it's now they all of a sudden smart. have like 400 backlinks from the homepage. I mean, I put it, for example, in my footer. So for me, it's actually on every single page of my website. So it's really, really smart what they've yeah. done. Yeah. yeah, and also with the logo, I mean, if you're using a logo that your association has for members, yes, like that's really important too. Um, and I always tell people, don't just link to the website. If you have a profile there, link to your profile because then it really shows the client that you are a professional and you're yes. looking at your oh, career yeah. overall. Yeah, true. Now I'm wondering um, the, the whole, I don't know if that's really related. I'm not a, a website expert, I guess, but how does this relate to... Um, to like social media and um, because I think that's a really interesting discussion and a very difficult question because it gets into the into the question of which should I do social media yes or no in general which network should I be on should it be more in a private capacity should it be for professional purposes and I think it's a very messy sort of field so I don't know if that's uh, something that we want to get into <laughs> necessarily. Uh, for me, at least from a from a professional perspective, I think if you're going to be on social media, you need to be on the social media where your clients are. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I see a lot of interpreters and translators who say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, but I don't really get any, any business from LinkedIn. Well, you know, that's not really the point is to get the business from LinkedIn. The point of LinkedIn and, and other social media is to connect with people. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why they call them connections and, and, you know, things like that. So, but again, you need to be leading back to your website and providing mm -hmm. value on these social media platforms to people who could potentially hire you or refer you to other people who could. Um, there are lots of things like LinkedIn is, is just a really good example. People are there to network professionally. That's what the platform is for, right? Uh, and so if you're connecting with people and actually providing value, maybe you send an article to somebody you just connected to that you think might be helpful to them, but you're not there selling your services. That type of conversation mm. happens offline. It doesn't happen on LinkedIn, right? Or I know a couple of translators who use Instagram really, really well for their client base but they're working with clients who are also on Instagram. Mm. Um, you know, they're selling <laughs> That's nice. um, Yeah, in marketing, right? They're uh -huh. in the marketing industry. One is in fashion as well. Fashion I mean, is huge, yeah. Yeah, that's where they are. They're on Instagram, so. 
I was going to say, I've found that LinkedIn, so I'm beginning to think that we've made everything too granular. And instead of thinking, you know, should I be on LinkedIn? Should I be on Twitter? Should I be on Instagram? Our question should be, who are the clients that we're after and where do they live and what works for them? And just strategize according to, you know, I'm realizing that the direct clients I want to reach are on LinkedIn and they're really attracted to certain things. Okay, that's where I'm going. And realizing that, you know, I'm having to re-strategize all the time with with various things happening in the UK um, and thinking, well, you know, I'm not where I want to be with my marketing yet, but I'm getting more places than I have ever been before. I'm meeting more people and I'm able to link to people who I wouldn't have even attempted to link to, you know, two months ago. Right. So what do we do then? You know, let's build, build a funnel is a horrible term, but you know, let, 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 let's build this and make this work. <laughs> knowing it's going to take time, knowing that I'm unlikely to get a phone call, you know, Monday morning saying, here's a five million pound job. But I'm building the, the links to the people who now know where to look when they're looking for an interpreter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's important. And, um, you know, for a while, I was wondering if Twitter was going to be around much longer. I know certainly what, from word people, <laughs> it'll be there for as long as we are on there. But for clients, especially, I kind of wondered that. And, and a lot of my clients weren't on there. But now some of my clients are on there because I work with editing agencies who hire um, uh, translators as well. So that's one of the things that has shifted a bit. I mean, it kind of depends on how your client base shifts as well. Because over time, you may be working with um, a new area of clients they haven't thought about before. And they happen to be on these certain platforms mm. i think one platform nobody is probably on is tiktok hopefully oh so. my god yeah <laughs> have you heard of that I mean, it's, it's the funniest thing i still don't quite understand it <laughs> but i think we can all steer clear of that one yeah i think so unless you're gonna go viral with like your singing it yeah exactly like, that's not gonna happen or even snapchat snapchat i don't get either snapchat is so 2018 there's a new one. What's the one? There's a, there's a new kind of open source equivalent of Twitter. Mastodon. Mastodon, which I've looked at. I have never heard this. Oh, I don't know that one. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it, it it's really kind of empty and vague at the moment. I joined just because I was like, what is this? And literally, you'll maybe see a few messages a day. But on the other hand, when you do put something out, because there are so few people there, you'll tend to get a response every time. Unlike Twitter, where unless you get the tweet at just the right time with just the right hashtag, it's going to get ignored. And, and on mm. Mastodon, it's like living in a village with 12 people. <laughs> That's too funny. <laughs> Well, if those 12 people are your clients, I can see it working. But otherwise, I don't think anybody really cares, right? It's and interesting. Ju just one quick pet peeve that I have as well about Twitter, because I not about Twitter as a platform, but a lot of people, not so much anymore, actually. I think that's kind of very 2000 and late, is that people put their, their social media feeds on their websites. And so you go somewhere on the About page or something, and you see like all their tweets constantly updating or their Facebook posts. And... It's just useless and really ugly. So I'm very glad that that kind of stopped. So if you're doing that out there and if you're listening, just stop it right now. Stop yeah, it. I think that was the plug-in that everybody had at yes. one point that was just like, oh, sure, that looks good. And you add it and it's just not good. I think the only sites that, that really works for is like some like people who only do blogging or people who are, are like retail maybe or something that are putting yeah. their products up. But that's about it. Yeah, it, it just doesn't look professional, I don't think either. Automation is dangerous, yeah. 
where we're talking about things not to do, can we just say if you're a translator or an interpreter and I go to your website and the first thing that happens I get is I get one of those horrible interstitials begging me to sign up for your newsletter, I'm never working with you again. It's just it's just horrible. Like a pop-up? Offensive. Yeah, like the pop-up oh, yeah. that comes straight up and says, get our newsletter. It's like... I know these work for some people in marketing, but they work because they annoy the fingers of everyone else. And it's like, if it, it, to yeah. me, it gives a really bad impression. You know, if you, I, I've only ever seen a couple of translator and interpreter websites that do that. Yeah. I mean, I was joking when I said they'll never work with you again. But the point is that if you're the kind of person who does that, it, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And it makes me think, you know, if I'm looking for an interpreter for someone and you've been recommended, it makes me think, you know, that is really greasy and horrible. But, you know, it also uh, is, not that it's also kind of like with the, the same with the blog. If you're going to do a newsletter and especially if you're so in your face, it better be the best damn newsletter ever. <laughs> you know what good, I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. if you do that and then, and then I subscribe and it ends up being like, hey, this month I did five translations. Great. Good for you. Like what? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the pop-up is funny. Um, that's something that they say works, like like statistically it works, but I have always felt like if it annoys me, why would I do that to my customers? Totally. Um, but I guess it does work in some places. I feel like that type of thing only works when it comes with a discount offer attached to it or something, <laughs> you know? The definition of it works is people just fill in any email address to get rid of it. Oh, right. Um, I, I have a I dummy email too. address that... So like it's a, I I have a dummy dummy email address. So like if I have to connect with Wi-Fi and even with GDPR, they're still asking for an email address. I give them my dummy address because you know I don't care. It's going to a dummy address anyway. Um, and so I think we really need to re. We it would be good to get a proper study. You know, does that work? Not in terms of newsletter signups, but in terms of actually making more clients than I don't know being an approachable human being, you know, <laughs> which one works yeah. better. Hmm. Yeah. And some of them are actually hard to figure out how to X out of, how to, how to close out because the X is so tiny at the top or it's a transparent one. You can't really it's see well it. Hidden. So yeah. I would just close the window completely. I would never give my email yeah. address if I thought I didn't have to. Yeah. That is very true. It's also just about really how you navigate the website in general, just because you said that with the X, a lot of the times, if I don't find the information on the website, you know, I will look for, let's say an email address, I will just click control F and just like type in an at or like whatever I'm looking yes. for. If I don't find it in 30 seconds, I'm out. Like that's just it. So just make sure that your website is clear and like easy to navigate and the information is where people expect it to. Because sometimes people think oh, I'm going to be really clever and different. Which, you know, can be don't, fine, but don't. don't be that. If it's about where's my contact, where's your phone number, where's your email address, like that stuff needs to be where everybody can find it easily and don't be like special about that. I was going to say, have a page that says contact. Really easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just yes, yes, yes please. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think before we wrap this up, I just want to throw it over to Alex real quick because I do wonder, and we also have this in the show notes, if you think... Um, if there's a, a value in having a professional website, if you're a staffer or if you're employed, because I know for a fact that you have multiple websites going, so I'm sure there's a reason for that. Well, I have only one. One for you. Personal but, page. Yeah, the others are sort of byproducts of yeah, projects they're more I'm involved tech in. tech-forward websites. Right? <laughs> <laughs> mm, see what you did there. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I think in, in, I can't speak for everyone, but in my case, it was more of a, 
I had always had a, a private website even before I became a staffer. So I just kept it around. And uh, just like Jonathan, I'm somebody who likes to share opinions. So a personal website is still a very good a good place to to do that online. And I've never been somebody who wanted to put all of their eggs in in somebody else's basket. So on social media or like a platform like Medium, for example, I always wanted to have my own domain and also my own website, even if it's on a like on a hosted platform like Squarespace. So I always had my own home on the web and that's kind of, that's something that I've just always had and I, I kept it around and I've always used it for different things. So for blogging, just having a place on the web that people can find out about me um, for example, and also to for the podcast and and so on and so forth. So um, I don't think it's necessary, and I, I suppose there are a lot of people who don't really want to do that. But for me, it was kind of always important. And even as a staffer, of course, you know we have freedom of expression, so we can you know share our own opinions and stuff like that. And I and I want to keep doing that. So that's why I'm I'm keeping the website. And it's always been a sort of a hobby, you know, something that I like to spend time on waste time on whatever you want to call it but these mm-hmm. days it's really about just putting content out there putting stuff out there not so much about trying out new technical things or improving my html skills or things like that so you yeah don't code nah <laughs> not so much i was gonna ask a question because this comes up time and again and it's one that i'm still puzzling over myself as a lot of interpreters um you know, you talk about websites, you talk about marketing, and they say, how can I possibly compete with the big agencies that can, you know, throw thousands of pounds a month at Google Ads? You know, is there an answer to that? Or do we have to ask them, you know, do you need to compete? What's the answer if someone says, you know, how do I build a website that's actually going to be found when all these agencies are throwing so much money at everything? Mm -hmm. For me, I feel like, why are we competing with them in the first place? I mean, that's not... We That's a mic drop. <laughs> I love it. Well, but honestly, I mean, why, why would we? Because we serve different roles in, in, in the industry, in our professions. Um, I, get, I get what you're saying about as far as putting money into advertising and things like that. But if you really know your clients well and who's hiring you and who you want to work with, you can actually do way better than an agency because agencies mm. are really looking to uh, advertise to larger groups of people. Uh, many times in various specializations. But let's say you're the only conference interpreter that works in this certain area that has conferences all over the world the whole year long. I mean, you have a really good position that you can uh, play into by making sure that your online presence reflects that and you're you're doing all the things that we already talked about as far as showing what the value is of hiring somebody like you, Um, you know, maybe producing content that's valuable to them that brings them to the conclusion that they want to hire you versus an agency, which, you know, I mean, you've seen even some of the agency websites probably as well. They read like a brochure. Yes. He doesn't tell a client a whole lot. Now, yeah, they do have money to do ads and things like that. I actually do know a uh, a colleague here who told me that she's working on, um, I think she's using LinkedIn ads. And I told her to follow up with me because I think that's really interesting. I want to know what happens with it. Um, her husband works in the area of, of online ad space. And so she's, um, she's already seeing clicks, but I don't know if any have converted into clients yet. So mm. it's, it's a really interesting concept. But we have the ability to be more narrow in who we look at versus too wide and trying to please everybody. I mean, that's what I think anyway. Very true. Very true. 
That sounds like it's something very difficult for people new in the profession. I mean, it's difficult enough because you have to find your way and find clients and, you know, everybody's telling you to maybe specialize. And yeah. I think that goes sort of hand in hand with finding the right audience that you want to, you know, target online. So I don't know if you have any tips or um, yeah. if there's some good advice for people who are really new in the profession and, and where to, because it's so overwhelming. Where do you, where do you start? Where do you look first? Yeah. So I actually had this um, conversation with a translator recently. She's um, I think she does Arabic to English. And so she really wanted to stand out, but she, she wanted to make sure that her website um, would work well for clients who would look for her for, you know, um, documents for individuals, especially here in the U.S. I mean, you can get a lot of work Arabic to English, I assume, in, in that area. Um, but also she had a couple of specializations she was sort of dabbling in because she was new. I mean, so she wasn't quite sure where she was going. I said, well, you first really need to know what kind of client you want to, you need to, you know, look at in order to write copy. You need to know who you want to work for. And of course, that's part of the process. She didn't really know yet, right? And it's like, okay, well, what kind of uh, lifestyle do you want to have? Look at it that way. I mean, do you want somebody who's going to be asking you for super quick turnaround times all the time? Or do you want somebody who's going to say, okay, I need this, you know, next week. So can you put this, you know, in your queue for translation? Well, then maybe in that sense, you might want to work more with direct clients than agency clients. It could be that, you know, there are a lot of ways to look at it. But um, I mean, I know for sure she's still figuring it out, but she has she's very bright and she's um, doing quite a bit of research and she's still working alongside building her website. But it, it kind of shifts over time. I think probably all of us could say that over the years, our client base has maybe shifted because our priorities tend to shift too. And when we find something that we really do well, or we're really into this topic or area of specialization, then we tend to put more emphasis there. And there's something that comes with time, but um, it's not just always about where can I make money or where can I, you know, what will, you know, get me off the ground faster. It's not necessarily that because if you don't do it well, then it's not going to go very far. Mm. Well, that's certainly one of the sort of biggest lessons that I'm drawing from this is to say that a, a website is a living thing. It's not something that you, you know, you do it, you take it off the to-do list and then it's sort of, it just stays there. It's, it's like a continuous project. It needs to be updated. The design needs to be refreshed. Maybe, I don't know, maybe not every year, but you know, from time to time, um, and I think it's it's probably fine starting small, just having something and then building on that um, over time. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I think so. Um, especially if you're, you know, showing who you are, that you're a trustworthy professional, that you kind of, you know, are a responsive person. You have a contact page. It's easy to figure out where to find you and, and to get in touch with you and um, that you have, you know, some sense about what you're doing. I think that that stuff comes with time as far as, you know, really honing your message for your particular client base. Yeah. I, I would also really urge people to integrate everything that we've said about their website into this journey as to what clients do you want and where do they live? Mm -hmm. um, I'm realizing now that, and I, someone was saying to me recently, the business cards are disappearing, but realizing that, your website is kind of like your virtual business card yeah. in the sense that, you know, if you, if you meet someone, you can give someone a card that's got your website on it, the likelihood, you know, they, they might come back and take a look and having some presence helps. 
And gradually, as you do more and more things, it becomes easier for that presence to build. So I got to the point where now, if someone Googles my name, I don't know if it's on every version of Google, but certainly on Google UK, a little info box on me pops up on the right-hand side. Mm. Ooh, and that's just in like the past six months, that's just appeared on google.co.uk and they were like, and you get to alter that. And so that changes now how things appear. Um, mm. But that comes with, you know, being in the right places, gradually building stuff up and your website i don't know about anyone else's experience Look but this i, I, I know i'm just doing it too i see it <laughs> uh, my, my, my website hasn't gained me any clients but it has been part of the journey towards gaining clients i've had um my, my newest interpreting client who i really love um got referred to me and looked on my website before they sent me an email and i was like that's I don't think I've ever gained a client through my website, but it's been a really important part of the, the brand that I'm building. I hate the word brand, but you know, it's been a very important part of my presence online. Interesting. I do hear from people that their website is what was the deciding factor for some people to call them or hire them. Cool. I know that there's actually a, a misconception that um, agency project managers don't look at people's websites, but they do. They definitely do. Um, so I think that people have to, you know, think, think twice if they're going to say, well, I don't need a website because I, I only have agency clients. That's not necessarily true. The good agencies are looking at your website. They're making sure that you're legitimate, that you you know keep up with your profession, that you do specialize in what you say you can specialize in, especially if it's some obscure thing. They want to make sure that you are you know, at least somewhat um, visible to them online other than just having an email address, especially if it happens to be one of those at like at yahoo.com. They're going to find, <laughs> you know, they're going to try to at least look you up more than more than just a directory, but it's back to what Alex said earlier about, you know, having a, an online presence that's not just owned by someone else. That's always the thing, you know, what if, what if LinkedIn is gone tomorrow? What if your online directory listing, you know, tanks tomorrow, the association is gone or whatever, you know, can't just depend on these that other people own. You have to have something that you own and, and lead everything else back to it. Mm. I think that's a really nice wrap up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it that is. has kind of like really puts a nice bow on everything. Absolutely, yeah. And um, I really enjoyed this discussion. I was actually thinking beforehand, you know, maybe that's a little bit less relevant to me because I'm not really using my website to, you know, attract business or anything. Uh, but yeah, this was I really enjoyed this 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 discussion and sort of thinking back to the days when I got started on the on the web with you know HTML and stuff like that, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> hacker man, like hacker this. Man. yeah, definitely white hat <laughs> hacker though. <laughs> Excellent. So, if people are interested, where could they learn about learn more about your courses, for example, because you provide training on websites? Yeah. So, um, I have a website that is geared just towards working with colleagues. Um, it's just my name, MadalenaZampalo.com, which is really hard to spell if you don't um, <laughs> we'll know me. So, you can link to it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Madalena, for joining us tonight and, and sharing a lot of insights. Uh, I suppose there's still enough stuff that would be interesting for people and a reason to join your courses. So we didn't we didn't spoil too much <laughs> the, the oh, fun that fine. you guys have. So uh, I encourage people to check out what you have to offer and uh, keep working on that website. Thank you. Yeah, cut. I'm thinking, how else can I tap into what people are talking about and use that? You know, it's, someone said to me, it's better to walk into a room that's already filled than to try and fill yep. a room. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. 
Oh. Just like it's easier to get a client to contract some somebody they already know they need than to try to sell somebody something that they don't actually aren't quite sure that they need at all.